Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this Thursday. I'm sure you've all missed me very, very we much. We have. I've had, I've had hundreds of complaints and stuff like, you know, why are you away on Monday? You know, there's nobody there to go and to, to go and help Natalie keep, keep Henry and Syed in check. Uh-huh. Were they just like talking over each other? And of course they were. Yeah, you, know. you need that. Exactly. Anyway, we have a far more disciplined crew this time. <laughs> uh, in the studio with us, Times Chief Stats Officer Bill Edgar. Good morning. And down the line from Merseyside, it's Paul Joyce. Good morning. Later on, we'll be looking at English clubs in the Champions League. They're all through, but are we impressed? Plus, there is a massive relegation six-pointer between Huddersfield and Newcastle United. There's turmoil around our friend Mike Ashley. So... The franchise, George Colkin, will join us later to discuss. But we start with one of the iconic fixtures of English football, Liverpool versus Manchester United at Anfield on Sunday. It's been a great week for Jurgen Klopp's men, who went top of the Premier League on Saturday and progressed to the knockout stage of the Champions League on Tuesday. Now, Paul, it was Alisson, of course, who took all the headlines with that crucial last-minute save against Napoli. And he alone seems to have added so much belief, we could say, to that Liverpool side and to Liverpool fans as well. Yeah, I think you're right, Natalie. I think he brings um, confidence to the team. He's brought presence. I think he's brought organisation to the defence along with Virgil van Dijk. And I think the, the transformation of Liverpool this season has had a lot to do with sort of Alisson and, and van Dijk controlling the team and controlling performances, especially in the first half of the season where the, the front three hasn't clicked as it as it quite did last season at times in the second half of last season especially and so Liverpool have had to rely a little bit more on defensive strengths and I think Allison's just proven a, the goalkeeper Liverpool have yearned for for a number of years now and it's it's proven another sort of astute signing. Paul I, I need you to help me out because I'm I'm trying to figure out how good Liverpool actually are because you can look at the so fact that you can look at the fact that they're ahead of Man City in the table. You can look at the fact that I thought they were exceptional in, in the way they pressed and the, in the way they worked against Napoli. Maybe the best I've seen them play since October. But equally, they lost three Champions League group games. They they're going through and everybody's celebrating, but they have the exact same goal difference and the exact same points as Napoli, who are going out and. Not saying that Napoli are a bad side, but they're not top of the Premier League. So, 
Which is it? I've been wrestling with, with exactly what you've been saying for much of the season, and I think I've probably been a little bit too downbeat on Liverpool. Um, I mean, I think if you if you separate that the form in the the Premier League has been obviously the points tally and the best ever start to a season. I don't think you can. They've not they've not played maybe as they did at times last season. But I think Klopp was put that in context in that you tend to pick out Roma at home last season, the Champions League, Porto away, Manchester City at home in the Champions League. And the idea, Klopp was saying, that the idea that they played like that every week in the second half of last season was misleading. And so to expect that to happen again this season in the Premier League is wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a false comparison, really. I think in the Champions League this season, I think Klopp got his team wrong in Red Star Belgrade. They'd beaten them 4 0 at home at Anfield the, the week before. And I think that was the game that I think if Klopp's done anything wrong this season, Red Star away, I think he got it wrong. There has been a pattern to those away defeats and that the midfield has has appeared an issue in, in each one of those. And I think where I struggle, I've struggled with Liverpool this season is that. There's so many different midfield permutations that he's picked, and he doesn't seem to have a settled. I, th- I think you're, um, you're right, uh, Paul. It's, it's the, the contrast between the midfield and the uh, attack and the defence. The attack, there's no doubt what the, the first yeah. choice front three is. There's no doubt what the first choice back four is. It's absolutely set in stone. But as you say, the, the midfield three are chopped and changed all the time. And I think that we often talk about the difference this season between Liverpool and the last season's version in that there's nothing like as much of the cavalier attacking, you know, um, blowing teams away. On the other hand, if you think back to last season, we often forget that Liverpool uh, defensively were often poor. You'd almost expect every game to have 20, 25 minutes where the other team were dominant. Um, But that's just been uh, just cut out, really, and and they're just so much more solid now and they're only conceding five goals all season. So so it's kind of more, you know, solidified, as it were, in, in attack and defence, so um, so you know you, you shouldn't shouldn't forget how the defence has changed as well as the attack. No, I definitely agree with that. I mean, a lot of the phrasing that, that's used around Liverpool at the moment is sort of controlling chaos, and how last season it was more chaotic, as you described, Bill, and now there's more control coming into the performances. I just find the interest the midfield a really interesting conundrum because, as you said, then Gab in the second half of the season is that going to be the area where they don't quite maintain the, the momentum that they've got or are they going to be able to go through the whole season with Klopp, basically? I mean, he's almost picking a different midfield in every single game. Well, let's move on to, to Manchester United then. There hasn't exactly been much of a feel-good factor around the club this season and, Bill, that wasn't really helped by a defeat to Valencia on Wednesday night, knowing they could have topped the group, but it all went very wrong. Yes, and uh, they certainly deserved uh, to lose. It was interesting that they... Yet again, uh, as has happened so often in recent times, they came on strong towards the end, having fallen fallen behind. And uh, they were so on top in the last 10 minutes, another 10 minutes uh, they'd have drawn. If they'd have played another 10 minutes, they'd probably won. What was the lineup that he put out? What was the formation? What was he thinking? Yeah, I mean, it was it was almost the lineup saying, well, what team do we want to play on Sunday? Who Who can we just 
put out for so if a you're gonna do that there, why yeah. not play like this greenwood and garner and these other yeah. people what you, you, yeah you could i guess he thought they had a slight chance of getting a a, a victory um which might just give uh, help them top the group but uh but no you could certainly have argued to so, put so, out youngsters so they're two nil down early in the second half after he puts out the goofy formation, which presumably he'll never play again because yeah. it's the one where it's the one where he has a million central midfielders in there, and that's a position where apparently they're all bad apart from Matic and Fellaini. He doesn't like any of them, right? Yeah. Um, he sees that the, he sees that Juventus are losing. He's two nil down himself, and so then he sends on the cavalry in the form of Rashford and Lingard. Is that what he did? I mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't understand this man. Like I don't. No, you know, no. I, I mean, it was a bit, bit odd, really. Pereira is uh, so far from being uh, good enough to hold down a first team place. Fred has been such a, a disappointment so far, having paid so much for him in the summer. Um, he's really looked uh, uh, incredibly feeble um, in centre midfield. Um, so as I say, just kind of filling in a, a gap, waiting for Sunday, really. So it'll be interesting to see uh, which team he puts out on Sunday. Before we build up this game too much, we should remind people that since Jose Mourinho took over at Old Trafford, both meetings with Liverpool at Anfield have finished goalless. We're not suggesting the two are related, are we, Gab? Well, I think, you know, <laughs> as I recall, and Joyce, you correct me, this is a case that in years past, Mourinho needed a point, and, and he went there and he, and he played accordingly, right? Is, am, I, am I remembering this correctly? Was, was yeah, there... no, I think it's very much, you know, don't get beat is, is his mindset there. I mean, famously, when Liverpool were going for the title in 2014, he came with Chelsea, didn't he, and made that, that, that famous phrase about not wanting to be clowns at, at Liverpool Circus and... And they won, and Chelsea won two two nil that day. I mean, Manchester United is the only team Klopp's not beaten in the Premier League. Of all the teams he's faced in the the Premier League, Manchester United's the, the still the the itch he, he wants to scratch. Um, Can I ask a question about, think, about the with with Mourinho just and, and Liverpool fans and Liverpool in general? I mean, obviously there's a rivalry and there's a history there and so on. But is it the case that you? You'd love to, not you personally, but I mean the club and the fan base would would love to see United walloped so that Mourinho can fall even further back. Um, or is it the case that you actually want him to stick around longer? I, I think you want him to sort of stick around, really, because I think of all the, I think there's there's a lot of contrast between Liverpool and United at the moment, and, and one of the biggest for me is the sort of disharmony that that sort of seems to reign at, at United. Um, obviously in a, at a hierarchy level but also the constant criticism of the players and the harmony conversely the harmony that there is that Klopp sort of engendered at Liverpool um, and when they do lose he tends to take it on his shoulders whether it's just a, a soundbite for the media but I think he gets something back from his players in, in that sense and obviously Mourinho was criticising the players again last night it, 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 there's hardly a a week go by without somebody at the club is, is under fire from him. And I just think, if you're a Liverpool fan, do you want that to persist? Because it's almost like United have eaten themselves up. I mean, the danger would be them getting rid of and getting rid of him, then making a good choice as his successor. And obviously people would 
presume they would target Pochettino, who would, you know, maybe become more of a threat to Liverpool. I think it's a very interesting question, and they probably would want this sort of unraveling to continue for a time to come. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you, and here is one for you on this podcast. Among the present 20 Premier League clubs, what do Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Huddersfield, Liverpool and Watford have in common? I haven't even pre-read this question, so I am stumped. So you all have managers who've managed abroad? <laughs> Interesting. Can you give us a clue? Well, they, they, they do, right? There is a, a, a clue, and that is it's something to do with their history. Oh. History. Interesting. Oh, I mean, that's... I'm never going to get that, I'm be quite honest. They were all founded by people whose middle name was Stephen. I think that's it, right? I mean, it's a clue, but it's a vague clue, Bill. It's very clear. The very early days of their history, then, even more. <sighs> Something to do with their grant? No. Where they played? No. I don't know. Well, you have to stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. It is all about the battle at the bottom of the Premier League on Saturday, with arguably the biggest game coming at the John Smith Stadium. Huddersfield hosts Newcastle, having won just once at home all season. George Calkin joins us now, and uh, Newcastle, having won three in a row, have now gone three games without a win. It's a bit of a roller coaster at St James's Park, George. Um, no. No, aren't roller coasters supposed to be fun, fundamentally? <laughs> aren't they supposed to be kind of white-knuckle rides of exhilaration and thrill? Newcastle have, what, lost seven out of nine home games this season? They're, they're 15th in the Premier League, um, and the teams that they have beat are what, Watford, Bournemouth, um, Burnley. So I would take issue with that. I have also failed to see them win a single point this season, so... It's not exactly Alton Towers, this, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> there was supposed to be some sort of protest last week, and then it was cancelled because yeah. because they thought that it might make Ashley more reluctant to sell? No, I think with Ashley having kind of announced at the start, of the, I mean, in quite a strange fashion, really, kind of having announced publicly that a sale was closer than it ever had been before in his words the feeling was that this was not necessarily the time therefore to be protesting that everybody should uh get back in line behind the club and give this you know image of a club all united showcasing how loud and supportive and passionate it could be that the timing for a boycott was not was not right i mean it's really difficult for Newcastle fans to protest. There is this sort of stereotype of them always kind of uh, being in mutiny. But really, when you don't win trophies and when you're not very good at football, which they haven't been for quite a long time now, going to the game is really what they are and is really what they have. And that that sort of sense of staying away can be very difficult and very painful. And so it has been a, a source of sort of dispute amongst the fan base about whether they should be doing what Rafa Benitez has asked and support the team 
uh, in the hope that he'll then stay at the end of the season or really whether they should be protesting now because it'll be easier to protest at the end of the season if he goes, but it'll also be too late. So it's been a painful period, but the decision was taken to, to postpone uh, the boycott, although it may it may rear its head again after the transfer window, depending on what happens. George, I, I, I have to say, I don't get this, and, 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 and maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way, but I mean, this is a fan base that took Freddie Shepard back, right? After he did what he did. Sorry, do you mean when Freddie Shepard sort of insulted insulted fans and things like that? And Alan Shearer and Bobby Robson and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and then all of a sudden the guy comes back and he goes to games and everything's fine. There's nobody showing up outside his house. I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating violence, obviously, right? But it just felt like sort of six months later that was all forgotten, at least as far as the national conversation went. And, and I yeah. thought that was unforgivable. Far worse than, yeah. than Mike Ashley. I mean, I, I suppose you, everything has its everything has its context, doesn't it? If you look at the football being played by Newcastle now under Rafa, you would have said 15 years ago that would have been unacceptable. And you kind of hear this quite a lot. People will say, oh, if Sam Allardyce had been playing this kind of football, Newcastle fans would have been in uproar. So how come Rafa gets an easy ride now? But the context, of course, is of a greatly diminished football club um, that is not very good. And Rafa is using the resources he has to the best of his ability, you know, that, so the, the context then for a football club w- w- was actually, um, a team that was in the champions league or very close to it and was challenging for things. And so, although Freddie Shepard and Douglas Hall took a step back from the club for a short period of time, they then did come back in, but the mood music was of a, of a club that was in, certainly in relative terms was being successful. That is not the case now. So, Everything feels much starker. There is there is nothing for Mike Ashley to sort of draw upon to use in his credit balance. So I think I think you know it's historical. It's about what's happening at the club at the time, not just on the individual concerned. When, when, when they were talking boycott, were they talking about just not going to the game, or were they talking about? Because I mean, this is something that people have done elsewhere, and I think it'd be just as effective in, in the next televised game. You just put pickets outside the ground. Nobody goes in until, say, like five minutes after kickoff or something like that. And that's something that can be effective because you, well, the game kicks the off. And it, you know. the, the fact you're even asking that question is quite interesting because that's what they did for the previous match. And there was an 11th-minute protest, 11th-minute walk-in, which was reflecting the 11 years of Ashley's ownership. Now, with the best one in the world, that was not a success. When the 11th minute came and went, you did actually see that there were people sort of trooping in but by no means could that be counted in the thousands. So not even noticeable because fans well, didn't it was, participate. It, I mean, at the start of the game, you thought pretty much everybody's here. In the 11th minute, you realised there were quite a few people walking in, but it was it was a few hundred, it was a thousand, it was a couple of thousand. It wasn't any more than that. So, I mean, in actual fact, in, 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 tactical, in tactical terms and in cynical terms, which I'm not saying for a moment that this is what the kind of protesters have thought about, but, I mean, I think it actually makes sense to take a step back and think about what they do next and how they do it. Because, as I say, the one thing that Newcastle fans have is going to the games. They don't have trophies. They don't have success. They don't have wonderful football. They don't have all these other things. They have the tradition of going to the game. And you're sort of asking people to sort of completely untether themselves from that, from that thing. And I think, it is, I think that's really difficult, and I think it's very emotive. 
George, let's just uh, talk about Rafa Benitez and his future then. He's entering the last six months of his contract. Do you think that whatever happens in the January transfer window, if anything, will decide whether or not he stays at the club? I think that's really important, yeah. I think January is really, really important. They need to make um, additions. They need to, to bring some quality into the team. It's also about what happens um, off the pitch in terms of the takeover as well. Um, and, we're, we're, you know, we're, it, feels, it feels like that Newcastle is on the verge of a crisis. It's, 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 part of that is a sort of existential crisis. It's quite difficult to sort of to, to see it and touch it. It's a bit nebulous in those terms, but it feels like a really crucial six months. That to, Where we stand at the moment is that Rafa leaves at the end of this season and Mike Ashley remains the owner. And the great fear is that the club then retreats back to how it's been for the last sort of 10, 11 years. Alternatively, we can paint an alternative future, which is that there's a bit of money to spend uh, in January. Rafa stays and there's a new ownership and the club can sort of lift its head and be ambitious again. That is the sort of dream scenario, I think, from the majority of the fan base. So it feels like a very delicate moment. Who are the new owners? We don't know. So, so Is this um, Peter Kenyon's people? So Ashley went on Sky at the start of last week and he was there to talk about the appearance he just made in front of the select committee about the high street and online retailing, things like that. Sky threw in a few questions about Newcastle, which he must have been expecting. What was not expected was that he would be quite so open, uh, if I can put that word in speech marks, in quote marks, because he said that They've never been, he's never been closer to selling the club. Now, the person that he was talking about there was Peter Kenyon, the former Chelsea and Man United executive, who for a number of months has been attempting to raise funds and was in America last week uh, talking to his investors. That's our sort of understanding. Um, the concern with that group is that the, that the money wasn't there. And it feels like this, the next few days, will certainly be crucial in that regard. Ashley's comment came as a huge surprise to at least one other group or one other uh, interested party and sort of sent them scrambling a bit. There are other people involved. We know less about them. Do I hold out huge optimism about it going through? I think time is against them at the moment. I've learned a year ago and I've also learned over the last decade that it's best to sort of expect the worst and then anything that good happens comes as a, as a, as a nice surprise. I mean, I think that is... I mean, I know... I, I'm not meaning to sort of be flippant about that. I mean, I genuinely think that is the best way to be, that under Ashley's ownership, trying to sort of decipher his motives are hard enough, but expecting kind of good things to happen, um, unfortunately, uh, is, a, is a bit of a fool's errand. Fingers crossed. I think the club desperately needs to be sold. Focusing quickly on, on Huddersfield, they, they suffered a huge blow yesterday with the news that Aaron Moy is out now until February with, with a knee injury. Um, Bill, is he their most important player, do you think? Um, I think it probably is. Um, they're a reasonably solid team. They probably punch above their weight over the last year and a half in the Premier League. But he's he's the one who's really the creative uh, player. There's not after him. There's not too much. He takes almost all the corners. Takes the free kicks. He's the one who can uh, uh, pick a pass. A, a good through ball. So without him, um, they've got other qualities, Huddersfield, but he's he's really the creator. So to be out um, till around February um, is a big blow for him and for Huddersfield. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was a successful week for English clubs in the Champions League as Liverpool and Tottenham progressed to the knockout stage in dramatic fashion. All four English teams have made it through now to the last 16. But as Alison Rudd has written about for the Times, they haven't exactly done so in the most impressive fashion. Um, Gab, as I'm sure you'd be keen to point out, with Italian sides Napoli and Inter being knocked out, Spurs and Liverpool did progress, but by a wafer-thin margin. Yeah, or really no margin at all given that Spurs and Liverpool got the exact same amounts of points as, as Inter and, uh, and and Napoli did and have the exact same goal difference too and I imagine Bill will back me up on this I think there's a sample size problem here you can look at this and be like you know oh look the teams that are number two and three in Italy get eliminated by the teams that are what number one and three in the Premier League but equally I think Inter were very fortunate to be where they were, and Inter threw it away in the last game against against PSV Eindhoven. Napoli, I thought, were outstanding. I think they were really unlucky to be where they were. Obviously, in the end, they, they lost to Liverpool. They had that chance um, that Allison saved. Um, I think the broader message is that it's really difficult, at least in the Premier League, for teams to keep up with Manchester City and also be impressive in Europe. Um, obviously, Liverpool's defeats well documented. Tottenham had their moments, but again, what we saw from Tottenham, and, and it's interesting if you go back to what Joyce said about how Klopp got it wrong against got the lineup wrong against Red Star Belgrade and, and and whatever else. Spurs made a whole slew of what you might call mental errors and bottle issues against PSV Eindhoven, thing of Uris getting sent off uh, against Inter Milan um, at the San Siro. So you can either look at this and say, well. They'll just cut those out, but they do have the quality. Or you can say, man, there's something wrong with these with these teams, and it's not something that, that you can improve. As for United, I don't know. That group was so, so bad with young boys. Valencia, who are you know, on the brink of relegation in Spain. He almost wonders if you know, we wouldn't have all been better off if only one team had, been, uh, uh, <laughs> had advanced from that group, which I might say also applies to the Real Madrid Roma, CSKA, Victoria Pilsen group. I think if only Real Madrid had advanced, 
few people would have complained. Tottenham knocked out then in the last 16 by Juventus last season, despite being dominant for, for most of the tie. Um, Gab sort of alluded to the, the mental side of Tottenham perhaps being a, a concern. Are there other concerns as well, whether they have the Nelson experience? Yeah, I mean, you could look at that two ways. The the, the mental side, the late collapses against uh, PSV and Inter early in the campaign. But then again, they, I don't know, they held firm psychologically and had the, the three the important late goals uh, in the last three games as well. So um, looking at it overall, I think Tottenham of uh, this season and last season, I think they've really come of age on the uh, European stage. They were, they were fantastic in midweek. Of course, you, you can't really count it as a, against a proper Barcelona team because they were resting so many players. But even so, to dominate, I thought, a way to even a second string Barcelona team is a, a great effort. They dominate. Yeah. And you're playing a team with Alenia, Miranda, freaking Vermaelen. Yeah. And not only do Barcelona score, they also hit the woodwork twice. They do, but but Tottenham had lots of more. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. but like that, that I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I'd, I'd say more representative were the games against Juventus last season, against Real Madrid last season. Yeah, uh, and and they had the much the better of Inter out of the two games. I mean, they're, all right, they're, you know, there's a bit of a way to go, but I still think they're they're really a very strong team. I think Liverpool are really strong. Man City, but it doesn't really seem to me that there's a really a team standing out in the Champions League this season. There's Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus. No, there's, or, there's, there's two teams that I think. Are maybe strong. you'll there's, say Juventus. Yeah, and I'll say well. I'll say Manchester City. And yeah. And Juventus. I mean, I, I, I would everybody else City. Yeah, has I, I, got margins where they can improve. I think, and then that's I think what makes it really what, what makes it kind of more wide open this year. Because also what we've seen, you know, Juventus and Manchester City, I think, are better than everybody else, but they're certainly not invulnerable. Well, that's what I'm going to say about City. I mean, they lost obviously their first game at home to Lyon, who took four points off them in the end. So they're anything but invincible. Mm. Well, you say? I, yeah, I tell on paper, Man City are the, the best team in Europe. But yeah, it was very strange how they they just struggled to to get any sort of dominance over both games against Lyon. I know Lyon played very well both times. That will be a, a big concern for for Guardiola. Yeah. Uh, and Gab, Monday's draw could be very unkind, couldn't it, to, to Spurs, Liverpool and United, given that they were their group runners-up? Potentially, yeah. On the other hand, we just finished saying that there's only two really good teams <laughs> and True. they won't be facing Manchester City. So, uh, And United won't be facing Juventus. So, you know, the one thing I would say about it, and I think it's part of the real appeal of, of the Champions League, if we'd been sitting here a year ago, and Bill there would have predicted, oh, I think Roma and Liverpool will be two of the semi-finalists. We would have like laughed and tell them, told them to stop smoking crack, right? Um, there's a level of unpredictability, I think, and I think it's even more wide open this year, just simply because of the because of some of the dynamics off uh, out there and and the way teams like Real Madrid and, and and Bayern and traditional big hitters are struggling and the fact that with Liverpool as we heard earlier from Joyce you, you don't quite know what you're going to get yeah it gets me excited and makes me look forward to it and even a team like City and you could look at it and say well but you know Aguero and De Bruyne are out and they'll be so much better when they come back yeah maybe they'll be so much better or Maybe it's somehow going to, especially in De Bruyne's case, it's going to upset some sort of some of the magical balance that they have in, in midfield, you know, and maybe Fernandinho gets hurt. Who knows, you know? So, yeah, I'm psyched. Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, which is the Times' fancy football tip service. 
I'm Charlie Scott, joined by Paddy Monbert. Hello. Hello there, Paddy. So, Mohamed Salah. Yeah, it was always coming at some point, wasn't it? Um, unfortunately, I was one of those who got rid of him a few weeks ago. Um, 21 points, those who captured him got 42. Uh, some teams out there might not even have got 42 points in total. What do we do about it? It's a real tough one. I mean, I was advocating selling Salah quite early on in the season when he didn't really start very well, so I got rid of him. But now, I mean, he's got these massive points hauls in the past few weeks, but Liverpool's run of games isn't that good mm-hmm. now until January. Of the five games that they've got, I think the only one where you can see him going mad is probably Newcastle at home. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah, possibly, and that may even be the time where they decide to give him a rest, Yeah, um, if, if indeed he needs one. I mean, he wasn't justifying his £30 million price tag earlier in the year. He may do now, but the problem is you've got to think what else you could get instead. You're going to have to be selling one of Kane, Sterling, Hazard, Aubameyang, maybe even two to get him in. It depends what you have to sacrifice and how your squad's looking. Um, we'll go into much more detail about it in this week's email, um, but it's certainly um, certainly a talking point. Absolutely. And one of the things that jumped out at me from watching the Champions League games in the past couple of days, Leroy Sane on set pieces. Mm, yeah, I think, I guess, De Bruyne and David Silva being out helps his value. Their squad's a little bit beat up, so actually possibly December rotation is not going to be quite as big an issue for City. Yeah, we did. We, I mean, that's always an, a worry with Guardiola when, when you've got a squad that's that strong, but... Like you say, he hasn't got that many options in central midfield and those attacking areas with people like Aguero and De Bruyne and Silver out. So maybe Sane's place in the team is safer than we thought. He scored last night for them in the Champions League and he was also taking corners, which is a fairly terrifying prospect if you don't own him. Um, what about defenders? I was just thinking with um, Joe Gomez and um, Joel Matip out for a while, Dan Lovren could be back in that Liverpool side regularly. And what about Kalasinac for Arsenal? Yeah, I like Kalasinac. Just touching on Liverpool, that makes me worry about clean sheets if yeah. Lovren's going to be playing every game. Um, <laughs> Kalasinac, yeah, I brought Bellerin in last week because I thought Arsenal's run of games looked good. I wanted one of their full-backs who gets forward a lot. Didn't really do my research because Kalasinac has actually been far more creative and got forward more than Bellerin has. He's also 0.4 million cheaper. They've got a good run of games. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. Much more of that in uh, in this week's email. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Uh, that should be in the podcast description as well. Or go to Facebook, search for The Sweeper, join the group, ask your questions, post your teams, uh, and we'll try and get back to as many of you as we possibly can. Okay, it's time now for our weekly predictions game where we pick five matches from the weekend and try and predict the score. And and Gab, obviously you were away on Monday. So just to remind you, I won that one. So it's 9-5. It's easy to win if I'm not there. But yeah, okay. I'm 9-5 up this It shouldn't count if I'm not here. Gab, it counts. It all counts. Okay. Come on, you you can redeem yourself this time, maybe. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the London derby at Craven Cottage, Fulham against West Ham. I expect Claudio at some point to to start clicking. I think um, I think West Ham have played reasonably well, but I can feel it now. Oh, Fulham two 0 Oh, of course. Can you West- imagine Fulham keeping a clean sheet? I know that's wow. crazy talk. And um, West Ham have won their last three in a row. Yeah, so they're due, you know, coming back down to earth. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go for a slightly tighter affair. I'm going to go for a one-one draw in this one. All right. Mm. We have Chelsea traveling to the south coast to take on Chris Hutton, who turned 60 a few Dude, days ago. Yes, happy birthday, Chris I know, I know. They, they don't make them like they used to, huh? No. Um, no. And it was funny, Brighton's official account, like set where they wrote, they had like a picture of him, like happy 60th birthday, Chris Hutton, and they wrote, what a man, below. 
And all I could think of was that salt and pepper song. <laughs> what a man, what a <laughs> Yeah, the mighty good man. Um, so what do you reckon? Oh, I am, oh, it's, mm, I don't think it's the easiest to go to the Amex. Um, I, I think Brighton might score, but I think Chelsea will win 2-1. I'm with you. I'm obviously not going to go and copy your score, so I'll say Chelsea to win 3-1. Ooh, okay. What about the big game then at Anfield on Sunday? Liverpool against Manchester United. We said, obviously, since Jose Mourinho took over, it's been, well, a bit dull in terms of goals. No goals scored in the games at Anfield since he's taken over United. Yeah, and I think that's got to that's gotta end, right? Because yeah, it's kind of like so. you score early and then it turns it around. Um, Liverpool can often seem to play on momentum. And I thought they were so good against Napoli that um, I see a big Liverpool win here. Ooh. Liverpool 3, Manchester United 0. Ooh. Ooh, interesting. Okay, I I think a Liverpool win as well, but I'm going for a 2-1 win. Mm, yeah, playing no. it safe. Yeah, 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 a little bit, a little bit. Um, ooh, big game in the Championship on Friday night. Sheffield United against West Brom. Do you remember the Battle of Bramall Lane? Do you remember it? No. Did it involve Chris Morgan? <laughs> it probably should have done, shouldn't it? Um, I don't remember. It was, the, the game had to be abandoned late on because Sheffield United Sheffield had been United. reduced to about six players. Had, Sheffield United had three players sent off. Yeah, and, and then injuries. Uh, and they were losing. Uh, and then in the last 15 minutes, uh, two more players of theirs hobbled off slightly <laughs> suspiciously. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Gee, so that, they were that, that's, to, that's the kind of stuff Neil Warnock would pull, but surely he wasn't the Sheffield yeah. oh, yes, oh, by I coincidence he was. Manager. Really? And, yeah. Amazing. So Sheffield United were down to six players and at that point the guideline is that the referee should abandon the match. So that's what happened. The FA looked into it or whatever, the Football League, and uh, they decided they awarded the game 3-0 to, to West Brom and mm. fined and uh, gave various bans to Sheffield United players. Did they ban Neil Warnock too? They uh, they find him I think for just being rude to the fourth official. So I think it's just his, his usual. Wow, no, I'm sorry, I'm not aware of this, unaware of this because of course it didn't happen in the Premier League. So, um, goodness me, Natalie. So what do you think well, of your deep championship knowledge? Oh, I I, ooh, I think I'm actually going to say it's going to be one one. That's what I'm going for. One one. Yeah. Interesting. That's um, my hunch. I could see a few more goals in this, so really? I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. Ooh, okay. All right. Big game in France. Lyon against uh, Thierry Henry's Monaco. What do you think of this one? Yeah, so Monaco, as we all know, is sort of a horrendous start yeah, to the season. bad. Um, they've gotten a couple of results more recently. Um, still a long way to go. Leon, I think that game against Shakhtar Donetsk in the snowstorm, and that was basically the one game that actually mattered uh, (laughs) with something at stake in uh, in the Champions League on Wednesday. I think that would have taken a lot out of them, you know, and then having to travel back from Ukraine or something. So I think Monaco can get a draw here. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say 1-1. Well, do you know, for the last eight games for Monaco, it's either been win or bust. So you're going for a split this time around, but I'm actually going to go for a Leon win. Regardless of what you've said about their game in midweek, I think I think it's just going to get harder for, for Thierry Henry. That's it. Just back the favourites, poor Thierry. Come on, show some faith. Mm. Not not this weekend. Maybe next weekend. Two nil. I'm going for. It's just time for us to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked among the present 20 Premier League clubs, what do Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Huddersfield, Liverpool and Watford 
have in common. We did try, didn't we? We just we couldn't did, come up with you anything. Know, and you could try the producer sneaky. When Bill's in the studio, he doesn't put the answer no. on the script, so we no. can't even cheat. No. Not that we do cheat. No, no, <laughs> We're no. always very good at this. Um, Bill, you're going to have to help us out. The answer is that they are the five clubs who have never changed their name. All the other 15 oh. changed their name at one point, almost all in the very early days. Um, it was Fulham. But there's Fulham were some, something like Fulham Sunday Church Club or something oh. like that. <laughs> they had the name Fulham in. Uh, lots of them had the actual name in, but were just a different uh, ending. Um, yes, they I'm, were. Uh, You're quite right. Fulham St. Andrew's Church Sunday School FC. Right. Okay. What was Everton? Oh, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I find out. Man- Manchester City were Ardwick. No, I know, but Manchester what was Everton? United, Newton Heath. Uh, it was, they didn't have the they name Everton. They were St. Domingo FC. Oh, that's right. Mm. Or, it was good, this. Newcastle? Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm loving the challenge. But I should just say that in case uh, people complain, Watford are sometimes said to have had previous names, but they were formed in 1898 from a merger, so it wasn't just simply a case of changing name or, or even disbanding and immediately restarting again with a different name. Who it was actually in 1898? Who, sorry? Who merged in 1898 uh, from Watford? Watford something and West Hearts, I think. West Hearts Football Club and... Watford, I don't know, something. So what were Newcastle known as? Um, the first football club was uh, renamed Newcastle East End Football Club because they oh. kind of played under the Stanley mm. Cricket Club of Biker. I think the most recent change of the 20 current Premier League clubs would probably be Bournemouth. They were Bournemouth and Boscombe as recently as about 1970, I think. Many thanks to our guests today. Paul Joyce, George Colkin, and of course... Bill David Edgar. (laughs) Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday after Liverpool take on Manchester United at Anfield. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>